The Broken Clock Podcast is back after a bit of a break. Oh, did we pick a time to break? Our opening quote uh, for this episode is, to quote Sun Tzu, the skillful fighter puts himself into a position which makes defeat impossible and does not miss the moment for defeating the enemy. Uh, that is, of course, from The Art of War. And this episode, we are talking about the logic of war, the logic of battle. And obviously, this is based on recent current events. Mouse and I talked about, do we want to do we want to address what's going on with Israel and Palestine? And we were like, ah, maybe for a 30,000 foot view, because I mean, Mouse, I'm, I'm sure you'll agree that a big problem with that conflict is that it's it's a blood feud. It's the Hatfields and the McCoys. There is no logic in it anymore. And mm -hmm. the, the problem is people try to apply logical frameworks to a particular portion of that controversy and neglect the larger, like the macro logical frameworks that determine the ethics, determine the morality of warfare in general, so it can be applied to that particular conflict. Uh, I, I don't want to speak for you. Do you agree with that? Do you take a different take on that? Yes, the to be honest, the, the the stoic view from above in this case, there are so many factors. There is so much at work. Like you said, it is now the blood feud of, mm -hmm. of the McCoys. Although, of course, me being an uh, an opera singer, I immediately thought of uh, uh, Scott and Ravenswood yeah. uh, from Lucia di Lammermoor. Um, yeah, the Montagues and the Capulets. You know, yeah, pick your one. Did. Did you just say the crapulets? No, but I should have. I should have said the crapulets. <laughs> we'll do the Montepoos and the crapulets. The crapulets. There we go. This week for me, everything's we about poo. I don't know why. I don't know if because I got cat with diarrhea or what, but I'm just making all the poo jokes. So I should have done that. But sorry, you were saying about this opera. Um, no, that that's what immediately jumped into mind because I'm an opera singer. But... It does. At, at this point, we have people who go back to, for example, um, what they consider to be the origins of the conflict and try to ascribe, you know, so this side has more right in this and this other side, mm -hmm. while ignoring all of the um, all of the history that has happened since well, then. They also ignore that who was there first or, or something similar, uh, who started it and why they started it is only one part of moral warfare, of just war theory, right? Now, now people do debate certain elements of just war theory, but certain things are sort of generally accepted. And the this who started it thing has become so the only thing that matters as opposed to the other ethical considerations of warfare that people probably should know before they start screaming about war crimes. Right. And maybe you might want to give our listeners at home. The, I the, the Jusas Bellum? Yeah. The breakdown? There's the breakdown. The four, the, what is it? The 411? The 411. We'll, well, okay, we'll go with that. The DL. Yeah. I realized the funny thing is that that probably just dated me. But the funny thing is that I grew up in a country that didn't have a 411. Um. <laughs> but you did live in a country that has a has a crap ton of corruption to this day. Oh God, yes, and I so, do live in I do I did live in a country that got um, invaded 
or yeah. tried to get invaded by another country multiple times in order to hide, uh, in order for the Peruvian president to try to step away and hide all of the political upheaval and corruption scandals that were going on at the time. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's this, uh, people have, people have an inadequate grasp of world events to be singling out a particular conflict in the way they do and i've i've discovered that the the poor reasoning i've been uh encountering for the last what is a couple weeks i guess it was it was 11 days of fighting and then uh you know it's still going on online people aren't people aren't <laughs> letting it though it has died down thank god um but like to be clear before we get into this i want everyone to recognize my take on this whole thing, my requirements for dialogue on this thing are the same as they have been always. I care less about your perspective and more about how you get there. I need a logical through line that makes sense to see where you're going. If you're jumping all over the place, then it's just raw emotion and there's probably a flaw in your reasoning somewhere because I can't follow where you're going. Uh, so the, and because, and now of course I'm saying that because the first thing people do is they jump right to ad hominems with this, uh -huh. right? There's a ton of ad hominems. There's a ton of slippery slope. I suspect every logical fallacy under the sun has been, committed. has been invoked, you know, like loaded questions, special pleading, um, inverted burden of proof. That's all over the place, right? I'm going to drop the a word for a moment, which I have a serious issue with because of the burden of proof fallacy. Israel is an apartheid state. I don't think so. Prove it. No, the burden of proof is on the person making the accusation. Yes. And that's always followed by a no true Scotsman, right? Like, how could you possibly believe this? You call yourself a progressive. Well, you know, calling myself a progressive does not mean I just take leave of my logical senses. I need some evidence before I will throw out an emotionally charged word. And the, so let's, let's go back to the beginning. I'm sure examples will come up, but I think it's oh, very yeah. important to understand the necessity and proportionality elements of uh, Justad Bellum. Uh, for people who play uh, uh, games like Civilization or anything <laughs> like that, this is, this is- the And feel the fire of Gandhi's red hot rage. Yeah, any of those video games, this is the principles behind a Cassius Bellum or Belly, uh, just war, a war that you can start without everybody else in the game being pissed off at you and thinking you're a warmonger. Um, and unfortunately in video games, the uh, esteem and attitudes of the international community carry more weight than in real life. <laughs> which is a really sobering thought but um the the first one is is one that people are fairly aware of the just cause principle right you hear that invoked all the time the palestinians want a homeland they want to throw off the oppressor um that that oppressor bit is is more the next one but just cause you have to be fighting a war for the right reasons right right you can't just be fighting a war because you want somebody else's stuff. There has to be some sort of injury committed, um, you know, and that's where the history of Israel comes into, um, it becomes a big mess, right? Because like so many global conflicts, 
the just cause principle seems to look very different depending on what part of history you go back to. Mm -hmm. You know, like the fact that Judea was, you know, conquered. We used to call it conquered, not occupying. Uh, conquered by the Romans, which named it Palestine. Well, it sounds like in that case, you know, the Jews got their land taken from them by the Romans and it should be given back. But if you go back to 1948, well, the people now known as, as Palestinians, well, they had to, some people say flee. The other version of it is just go away for a bit. This war will be quick, will quick, will kill all the Jews and then you can come back. There are two competing theories about what really went on there. Um, but, you know, the, the one that the, the left tends to take, which is they had to flee and they should get their homes back. Well, that, that changes the moral underpinning of who is in the right in terms of what they're fighting for. And we have no agreed upon start time for when those sorts of this land is ours um, come into it. Mouse, I don't know how you feel about this. I personally have real discomfort with people fighting over dirt. <laughs> I, I think resources, okay, are one thing. What's yours is yours. If there is, is a, 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 claim. A, a claim, a deal that was made, if there was some sort of legal transaction, those should be honored. But that's the principle of keeping your word, not something magical or special about a particular clump of dirt. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, territorial territorial fights have always been. <sighs> like I, I get fighting over water. There's a lot of landlocked regions, especially in um, in Africa and the various countries there and, and the maps on climate change shrinking the the bodies of fresh water there and how that's correlated with wars between those countries those are fascinating and very compelling but this idea of this desert uh, now of course that's part of the reason that the gaza strip is so important because the west bank is completely landlocked mm -hmm. that you know that's not um that's not for nothing right there but uh, you know even even if they did get the gaza strip they'd still have to go through egypt which also has Gaza blockaded. It's not just Israel, right? And this is when we get into the, there, there are a lot of blockades going around in the world right now. Saudi Arabia has Yemen blockaded. The US has Cuba partially blockaded, right? A blockade right. in and of itself is not a human rights abuse. There are various reasons related to, you know, preventing harm that these blockades serve. And that's, that's the thing about the just cause um, element of warfare is that you can't just do something because you can. There's gotta be a good reason, right? Now, the thing, right. thing, thing philosophers debate, you know, since the end of time, since the beginning of time till the end of time is what's the right kind of reason? And that's where you get into the messiness of religious conflicts. Yes, religious conflict to me is probably the least defensible type of conflict because um, all of the time you, ha you always have one side who is unwilling um, to let another side just be. 
and in many cases both sides are of the same uh, of the same um, position right it's it's not a necessity to spread your religion around the world i don't care what anybody says and necessity exactly. and proportionality are the two big ones with warfare and people focus a lot on the proportionality and very little on the necessity of these things exactly. um you know mo moving on uh i'm sure we'll get into religious warfare more i think it's an uncomfortable thing to talk about because people are loath to sort of go there with religion and criticize the entire premise of religion um in and of itself without anything else being a justification being an excuse to do anything that harms another person like i'm 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 dead set against that i i you know um i am i am big on the separation of church and state i understand mm -hmm. there's numerous countries around the world that don't separate church and state israel is one of them because they're in a region where nobody separates church and state you know, but I, I just do not think religion is worth going to war over ever. <laughs> it's, it's something I feel very strongly about. It is totally illogical where I'm coming from, you know, uh, but the next, the next pillar. Of course, the, the, the answer to that anytime that has ever been brought up as a potential, because I have, gosh, I have met people. You would not believe, well, maybe you would, but people who tried to justify the Crusades as yeah. saying, oh, we were just defending ourselves. And of course, considering we're talking about religion, um, I, had, I had to ask them, well, can't your God defend himself? Well, like, can't your God defend himself? Does he really need you? And then what kind of a God is that that actually needs someone to go ahead and kill someone else? <laughs> okay, if you think about the real reason for the ongoing crusades, which was the fact that they had all these, you know, bloodthirsty oh, yeah. psychopaths that they trained mm -hmm. for other wars that they didn't want coming back to Europe. Well, yeah. yes, they were defending themselves in that regard, <laughs> right? Yeah, like you, you stay there, honey. You don't, don't no, don't come back. No, no, no. You you'll be doing God's work over there yeah. by staying as far away from me as possible. And and I mean, I say this as a as a you know religious person. I'm not sure what that means. To me, the minute religion stops being being a tool you use to examine the self and it becomes a tool that is used to control masses of people that's where i draw the line religion for me is you know a a, a moral underpinning a, a meditation practice it, it ain't you gotta do things my way because god says so like that's just well go ahead oh sorry i thought i thought you cut out for a second so i thought you were done go ahead Oh no, go ahead. I was sort of done. Oh, that, that remind it reminds me of a movie my husband showed me when we were first dating. Uh, it, it was called Saved, uh, and it's about this this girl, this, this teenager who gets pregnant in high school, uh, and she goes to a, a very very um, kind of prestigious Catholic school. Uh, but there is one moment. Uh, oh, and her name is Mary. Oh, be, of because of course that that. Right. There is one moment where she's walking away from this very, very um, self-righteous, very aggressive, um, proselytizing cheerleader. Mm -hmm. And the cheerleader can't get her to come back. She's screaming at her, but Mary is walking away. And she, this is after they've tried to kidnap her um, uh, 
to take her to to get exercise. Some, I think it was getting exercise, something like that. Well, she, in in frustration, the girl reaches into her backpack, grabs her Bible, and throws it at Mary. Right. Uh, and Mary gets hit, and she turns around, grabs it, and says, "This is not a weapon." Hmm. 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 Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it is. In in the wrong hands. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then this is kind of an interesting segue into the next, the next principle of necessity and proportionality. Um, legitimate authority. Now, this is one that's incredibly messy regarding oh, yes. Palestine because Palestine is no longer one thing. Uh, West Bank and Gaza, and it's it's interesting to me when people refer to the Palestinians as a single entity because first of all, governments are not their people. And you're talking about an area that hasn't had open um, parliamentary elections since uh, what, like 2006 mm -hmm. or something like that. But you're also talking about the West Bank is ostensibly controlled by Fatah, the political party run by Abbas. Um, and then Gaza is controlled by Hamas, who took the area by force in 2007 or something like that. So who is the legitimate authority here? You know, the U.S. doesn't believe in negotiating with Hamas. So they negotiate through Egypt to uh, Fatah, to the Palestinian Authority. That, that somehow the message trickles down like they're they're the same thing they're not the same thing who the legitimate authority is over the palestinian people who speaks for the palestinian people seems to change based on what argument somebody is trying to win and that's always a big red flag for me right oh yeah i, I maintain that no one right now has the legitimate authority to speak on behalf of the Palestinian people and to go to war on behalf of the Palestinian people because nobody's really been democratically elected there. Hamas was never democratically elected, though they did win some seats, but them as the ruler of Gaza, they were never democratically elected. And Fatah stopped elections because if they had elections, they would lose, right? Like there is right. no legitimate authority uh, for the Palestinian people right now. And that's a serious problem. I, I really think any, how do I put this? Any position that in any way gives legitimacy to Fatah or Hamas right now does not serve the, the um, best interests of the Palestinian people because they're not there by the will of the people. You know, Sun Tzu right, writes a be. lot about uh, a military, a leader only has a moral authority to go to war if their people are behind them. And, you know, there's all this there's all this proselytizing, there's all this propaganda that the Palestinian people are behind Hamas. But we don't rightly know. Right. We don't know for sure. There's been no freaking election. Have the freaking election. And the word I want to use is not freaking there, but yeah. have the election, let the people speak, we'll go from there. When these two sides are both basically holding their people hostage, how, how do we go and speak about the moral transgressions of anyone else in that region? They're not, 
you know, when there's been no election for over 15 years, you really can't call any government democratically elected. And the people who, you know, just want to dunk on Israel totally gloss over that fact regarding who is in the right, who is in the wrong, whether there is any justification for war in this region right now. I mean, the legitimate authority principle is, is I'd argue not there on either side because my God, Israeli politics is a mess. Oh gosh. Like yeah. there, there was, there was a ref, uh, a referendum a while back about bringing mixed proportional voting to the province of Ontario. I think it was mm -hmm. Ontario, not Canada wide, but province of Ontario. And of course, the stuff that come out, it makes proportional voting is pushed up here by the left, mainly the, I don't know why they call it, they, people keep referring to them as the NDP party because it's new democratic party. So if you say NDP party, it's new democratic party party. I guess they really like to party, but you know- the, Oh gosh, the, now, I have, now I have Shin Chan's like theme stuck in my head. We like, we like to party. Um, no, I'm like, party, party, join us, join us, party, party. Oh, okay. Party. That's worse. You're right. That is worse. It is worse. It is uh, worse. So the, the NDP was really pushing this, but of course, then the data came out that mixed proportional voting tends to create situations like in Italy and in Germany and in Israel, where um, conservative governments tend to stay in power a really, really, really long time, even though they have minority support, just because conservatives are better at sort of agreeing to have power where the left is very divided because of all these coalitions and everything like that. So right. mixed proportional voting, while on paper seems great that, you know, proportion of vote counts. It isn't these like clumping the gerrymandering that's going on in the US. Well, it's it's uh -huh. it's a completely different problem that basically gets the same results. It it doesn't actually create a government that functionally represents the will of the people. And that's a really important thing to understand about Israeli politics that um Netanyahu's never been terribly popular. He's very good at leveraging the um, hard right religious parties in Israel to form coalitions by the skin of his teeth. He hasn't even been able to do that for the last two years. There have been four elections in two, two years in Israel. There's no real mandate for Netanyahu right mm -hmm. now. And the thing that's important about that is that war benefits Netanyahu because as long as there's war, this argument about who gets to run the country gets put on the back burner. Yeah. Right. So this is, you know, Hamas is trying to hang on to power in Gaza through war. Bibi Netanyahu's trying to hold on to power through every way he can, including war. There's no legitimate authority in this fight. And that's why, you know, when you see people cursing Israelis online, that to me, that that's just outright hatred. Because if you look at the voting outcomes in Israel, the Israelis do not like Netanyahu, right? There's no legitimate authority in this region, which means anybody going to war right now it's it's not a just war. They don't have the they don't have the people behind them. Anywhere 
nobody, nobody, nobody's actually been elected mm-hmm. in the current cycle to, to do the jobs they're doing, right? Like, when you start throwing around these, these crazy words about structures of government, you have to keep that in mind, you know? There, there's no, there's no um, majority base of support for anybody here. And that, I mean, that, I think the reason these are ordered the way they are is because legitimate authority obviously comes into the next, um, the next pillar, uh, which is the right intention, right? There's some sort of just cause other than just power for power's sake, you know, Russia going into Crimea, it was just a land grab to flex its muscle. That wasn't a just cause, right? Now, again, what's considered a just cause ah, subjective right which is why um hamas and and the the palestinian governments and propaganda wings in general tend to talk about the occupation the occupation because throwing off an occupation is generally seen to be a just cause whereas israel tends to spout the right to defend itself because that is commonly seen as a just cause. Um, now, whether that is in fact the reason for this this current round of fighting is up for debate, right? And that that's yeah. really what we have to wait. And I mean, I'm not a big. I don't take the reports that come out after these things as gospel they tend to be very poorly reported in media i mean after the last war and what was it like uh 2014 mm-hmm. uh this thing called out came out called the goldstone report and everybody treated the goldstone report after the last war in gaza which went on for something like 51 days and had a body count in the thousands um but this this Goldstone report came together, and of course there had to be multiple rounds of amendments, right? Because they 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 said some things about the Israeli side that just weren't true. That was you know there was evidence to the contrary, but they also and this got really swept under the rug. They had trouble actually getting Palestinian civilians to talk because they hmm. were so terrified of their governments and yeah. and you know people who allegedly are pro palestinian use the fact that the goldstone report couldn't find evidence that hamas was was you know hiding under schools and hospitals and things like that but that doesn't mean they didn't do it that just mean they couldn't get anybody on the record to talk about to it talk about it right that's not the same thing that's the same thing as you know the Mueller report not coming to a determination on obstruction of justice or whatever right it isn't right. that it wasn't there it was either beyond the scope or just nobody would talk to them and that's a very important distinction because again um Hamas especially Hamas but you know there's no guaranteed rights for women or you know lgbtq plus people in the west bank either in yeah. hamas if you're gay you risk death right you get beaten there's a risk of death you're kind of forced into performative heterosexuality because you're expected to get married 
So if there's a, if there are regimes that are oppressing their own people, and you could argue that, you know, Arab Israelis are not treated great either, but if, if there are regimes that oppress their own people, can you ever ascribe right intention to them? You really can't. No, not really. The, the intention from the beginning is rotten, right? Right. So then we move on to, and this is a big one that gets left out all the time, and the pro-Palestinian people are going to scream at me for this, but this is from the, the basically the Stanford Dictionary of, of, of Philosophy. You can check it out online, plato.stanford.edu. Um, reasonable prospects of success. In order to go to war, you have to believe reasonably that you can win it. Mm. And the reason I say that, you know, Palestinian supporters are going to scream at me because Hamas is never going to beat Israel in a, a tit-for-tat military, military war. They're not. So the question is, what do all these dead Palestinians do? What's the real war that has a reasonable prospect of success? They're killing their own people. They're getting their own people killed for propaganda purposes. I mean, that's the goal, right? That's what they're winning. Yeah. Because, I mean, firing a whole bunch of rockets into a place that has a technology designed to shoot down rockets, well, you're not going to win a war that way if that's the war you're trying to win. And I am very surprised by the fact that Western media has a, as a whole is not wiser to this, this element of what war Hamas is trying to win here. Because the more they promote the body count, and this is difficult because when it's news, you report the news. You can't just not report the news because it's inconvenient. But the right. way you report the news is very, very important here because Hamas is getting its own people killed to win a propaganda war. If you aid them in that propaganda war, that's going to lead to more people being killed. Mm -hmm. Which is why I do not understand that people, when people claim that their only concern here is dead and injured Palestinians, that they just think the suffering in Gaza has to stop. Why are you propping up the processes and systems that are leading to those very lopsided body counts. At, am I, am, is there any flaw in my logic there, Mouse? Am I missing anything here? No, actually it's, I'm trying to think of anything that might jump out at me and I can't think of at the moment, anything that really strikes me as not, uh, not a sound argument in this, yeah, th th this this is the part that actually got me really upset watching everything that's going on, because this is what I talk about logical chains that. All mm -hmm. right. I'm going to take people's word for it, that the thing that they care about, because they were so focused on the number, right? 200 dead Palestinians, 660 dead children. Right. And so I test the theory. And say, well, you know, the war in Yemen has led to, you know, 85,000 dead children due to acute uh, malnutrition. It's not about the body count, you monster. But 
their original argument was based on body counts or dead Palestinians, then dead Israelis. Right. But all of a sudden, when the body count argument undermines the Palestinian cause as a priority, all of a sudden they abandon it, which should tell them there's something wrong with using a body count as your primary your, your primary weapon, right? Your, your primary weapon of war in, in the war of ideas. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting me interesting to me how people do not apply the same logic to the war in Yemen, which it might just be because the scope and scale and horror of what's going on in places like Yemen and the Tigray uh, region of Ethiopia, it it overwhelms the mind, the casualties there, the horrors there, the atrocities there. 20 million people in Yemen need humanitarian aid. And I don't know if it just seems like so big a problem that people think they can't solve it. But, you know, Yemen is blockaded by the Saudis. And a lot of people go, oh, that's Saudi Arabia. As, but, you know, the two big... Um, the two big players in the Middle East right now, Israel's, Israel's a, a sideshow. The big thing going on in the Middle East is the, the proxy wars between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Mm-hmm. And the two different types of Islam, the, the Shia, the Sunni divide that that represents. And in all of those countries, there is Sunnis can't hold power or Shias can't hold power or there is some sort of we are the right kind of Islam. You are the wrong kind of Islam. So we get more rights and you get less rights. That is the fight. That is the big fight there. And all of these things in Yemen, in, in Palestine, in, you know, these these various places all through the Middle East. It's a proxy war between Iran and Saudi Arabia because it's two rapidly weakening regimes who are fighting wars of attrition against each other. And people have really taken their eye off the ball regarding that. I mean, the, the Iran-Iraq war was what it was back in the day. People have forgotten all about that. Yeah. Right. Uh, now, Mouse, you know, you were saying you have some experience with those sorts of things in latin america like you've seen it firsthand yeah i was um uh uh uh, at the time this was gosh i want to say 1995 maybe i was i was a kid um but we got invaded well tried to get invaded um by peru uh alberto fujimori uh, was facing some serious political upheavals um, linked to corruptions, and he thought that the best way to um, gain favor with the Peruvian people was to stoke a generations-long conflict, because Peru and Ecuador had had um, a, a long history of contested ter- mm-hmm. territory. Now, in true to fashion to anything having to do with Ecuador. Ecuador was the perpetual loser. Mm-hmm. Um, there, for example, there is a, a gigantic chunk of the Amazon, like a huge chunk of the Amazon that Ecuador lost to Peru in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Um, we had never won a single conflict with Peru because mm-hmm. our military sucks. 
uh, just like so much in Ecuador. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, when Fujimori started getting into trouble, the uh, the ideal scapegoat and the uh, and the the surefire victory was well. Let's you know, let's revive this territorial conflict and let's see if we can grab a couple more. Um, Hundred kilometers of land right. from Ecuador, um, and that you know that will surely make me popular because you know they're not going to win. Which um, is exactly what Netanyahu's doing with the um, the the encroach encroachments into each East Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's sort of and, turning a blind eye, letting that happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, it didn't work that well for Fujimori because um, while the Ecuadorian military sucks, the Shuar uh natives mm -hmm. were kind of gods uh, like god to tier level at guerrilla warfare right and so you had the peruvian army venturing into the jungle and the shuar just freaking exterminated them right uh, um so that was the one time that ecuador actually came up ahead in the conflict the president sixto Rambayen, an idiot um lost the territory in negotiations afterwards uh -huh. in peace negotiations afterwards <laughs> yeah yeah it i mean i think that's people are like why have i never heard this sort of history because there's so many of those things um there's so many things uh going on in the world that just slaughters right mm -hmm. people just they're not, first of all, they're not really widely reported in US news, um, but uh, they just happen so often around the world, like the slaughters by the drug cartels Oh yeah. Uh, in, in Mexico, things like that. And if you get a sense of, you know, what's going on, if, if you look up the, the Black September massacres in, in Jordan against the Palestinians, like, tens of thousands of Palestinians have been slaughtered in Muslim countries. Mm -hmm. um, you don't hear very much about that because it weakens the narrative, but it's very, very important to look at how other, other people who allegedly are the same in terms of religion, the Palestinians, handled their Palestinian populations. Syria, tens of thousands of Palestinians just disappeared, right? Jordan, we know what happened. Uh, Egypt's got Gaza blockaded as well. Lebanon, so on and so forth. If the Arab world is so united behind the Palestinians, why do they keep killing them? Mm -hmm. And why does nobody care about that? Yes. Oh, well, I shouldn't say nobody. I care, clearly I care, <laughs> right? And this is where logic is so important here. This is why I'm, I'm glad you talked about what happened in, in Ecuador with politician gets into trouble, starts a war that he knows will, will be a temporary distraction. There will be no real long-term change in that regard, just as a distraction to stay in power. Uh, the premier of Quebec, is is doing it right now francois legault is introducing this highly controversial language bill that strips english as an official language in the province of quebec 
And I'm really surprised there isn't more howling about this because I mean, it's pretty much a very similar thing to a, uh, to a provision of the Israeli nation state law of 2018 that dropped Arabic as an international, as, as an official language of the state of Israel in connection to affirming Israel's Jewish identity uh, officially. And people screamed that was apartheid. Now, I don't agree that that's apartheid, but I find it very interesting that in Canada, there's all these crazy demonstrations, crazy, crazy, not insane, crazy, like gets a lot of attention demonstrations mm -hmm. about the pro-Palestinian cause. But there's similar things that they claim that this is the sort of practices they oppose going on in our country. And there's just sort of a meh. <laughs> right man if it, if it's the principle like you you guys notice we're bringing up things around the world and mouse and i are consistent in our attitudes about what the problem here is right like mm -hmm. our issues with yemen are the same as saudi arabia or the same as iran or the same as lebanon or the same as syria same as ecuador same as peru so what mexico so what it's over america canada we are consistent that's the key. Our logic is the same. This happened, it bad everywhere in the world. This happened, it bad everywhere in the world. It's not bad in Israel or it's not good in Palestine. And then you change your attitude about it when it's a different people with different circumstances. Situational morality is not morality at all. And I know that's very ancient philosophy. And I know that that's not down with the postmodernism thing that's cool with the kids, <laughs> but postmodernism isn't, unfortunately, critical theory is diverged from critical thinking. And I don't want to sound like a right wing nut job because I know critical theory is under attack. To be clear, I don't think critical theory is terribly harmful because I don't think critical theory is terribly useful. You know what I mean? It doesn't apply well. So if people want to waste their money being taught junk, well, there's a lots of things in university right now that end up with junk degrees. I don't think it should be banned. If people want to pay to be educated in, in redundant stuff, go for it. I've got real problems with various elements of the U.S. government banning or trying to ban topics of discussion yeah and and again i'm really concerned that voting rights in the u.s are under real threat they are Ab abortion rights in the u.s are under real threat um right to right to access to ideas even if they're taught not you know not this is right teachers cannot utter the idea that maybe white privilege is a thing in certain schools anymore, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that concept. I actually think that concept has, has merit that just didn't originate in critical theory. That was a feminist concept that came out of mm -hmm. women's studies. Right. Yeah. Um, all this is going on in the U S and the anger, the, 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 um, outrage, just seems so dwarfed compared to the 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 blood boiling that goes on over Palestine 
And Mouse, you live down there. I don't know if you can explain to me. I know we haven't done the last two elements of Just War, but maybe you can explain to me what the heck is going on down there <laughs> that Americans, many Americans, especially on the left, seem more interested in stuff that's going on in other parts of the world than what's going on right in their country right now. Well, it's, um, this goes, no. <laughs> um, so there was a, a sitcom in the 70s um, called Maud. Okay. And it starred the, the wonderful Beatrice Arthur, um, the greatest female baritone on television. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing, the thing about Maud is that she was very much a, a, a very, very um, liberal Yes. woman by the, the the scope of the 70s she was introduced now, as a foil to archie bunker yes yeah. she, uh, a wonderful exchange that they had yes the, the interesting thing about maud is that she never quite was a she was never a caricature uh, the character was used both to underscore legitimate concerns and legitimate uh, grievances that the, the, the liberal movement had but she also was used to kind of expose and highlight how ridiculous some positions were and right. also highlight the hypocrisy that a lot of liberals um, had, and, and I guess still, still have, um, whereas they are concerned for a great deal of things and they make great public demonstrations and protests, etc about what may be going on in other countries, but they seem to be perfectly fine with, <laughs> you know, with ignoring things up to a certain point that might be too problematic to deal with at home. But that point um, it was Vietnam, right? Right, it was Vietnam, right. but, for, right. but there were other things. For example, um, so Maud is, uh, for example, very egalitarian. She, um, she cares about uh, homelessness. She cares about, uh, people living in subpar conditions. Um, but in one episode, she has a character, uh, 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 a, a black man, who comes to picket her house. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, she's absolutely aghast at this and completely goes to pieces. One of the, one of the foils of Maud is that she is she has a lot of white guilt. Mm -hmm. uh, so anytime it, she upsets a person of color, she goes to pieces. Um, and so she wants to find out why is this man pick, picketing her house? Well, she finds out technically speaking, she's a slumlord because, so she, because she never cared much about how her husband invested their money, etc., for, you know, finding tax shelters and things like that. Right. And her husband himself was very hands off with this. Uh, the, the person who handled their investments invested in these basically slums, right. which were tax refuges. Right. And so uh, it, it, it came up to the point, well, there, there's actually a, a, a pretty funny exchange because Maud says, well, we don't know what happened, what is used to, with our money. We don't, to, she says to this man, we don't know what happens to our money. We have no idea whatsoever. And of course the man says, wow. And I thought I had problems. Right. Um, but, you know, the, the whole point of that is that that happened because she didn't care. She didn't care what was, what was being done with her money. Right. Um, 
And, you know, she washed her hands off of it and in doing so allowed, uh, you know, this whole bunch of awful living conditions to happen. Um, and this is something that happened over and over in the series to expose you know, things that were problems in the liberal movement mm -hmm. where you where you had a whole generation of people who were far more concerned and vocal about things going on outside of the country's borders than of, of, about things that they could directly influence, um, which of course required a lot more hard work. Now, uh, in her credit, to the character's credit, Maud did focus a lot on the local. Eventually, eventually she ran for office. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but a good chunk of the liberal public is a lot more, especially in, this, in, the, in the age of social media, it's a lot more about the performative buzz that you get from yelling at people <laughs> yeah. um, than being consistent and going, well, if I'm going to yell at her for this, or I'm going to yell at him for this, why am I not yelling at my my councilman or my representative or you know the mayor because they kind of did a micro microverse version of what this of what this country is doing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's. I think you just made me realize something about my own reactions to this, right? Because I grew up talk a lot about growing up at Jane Finch in in Toronto and how it was a majority minority neighborhood, and you know, we were well, not me, I'm, I'm, I'm white, but you know, we collectively, the kids of that neighborhood was what the surrounding neighbors yelled at to say, this is where all the problems are coming from. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think I kind of identify with how well-meaning people who just want something, something allegedly just something allegedly good can actually perpetuate a lot of inequality and a lot of outright bigotry just mm -hmm. by not stopping to think at exactly what they're yelling at. And I had a really interesting exchange on Twitter. Um, interesting does not mean pleasant, but no. <laughs> I'm used to that now, where I pointed out that some people, you know, people should not feel coerced into giving money to Palestinian relief some people may not want to send money in somewhere where being gay is illegal. Mm -hmm. And the argument was made that basically, if you don't give money to Palestine on that instance, you don't care if people die. That this is a bigger problem now. And I thought, wait a minute, these people claiming this now are the first ones to jump on somebody for making a deliberately distasteful joke, screaming that they're a homophobe and trying to get them scorched off the planet for far less, mm -hmm. right? They want people to not be able to earn, like look at Kevin Hart getting denied the opportunity to host the Oscars because of a 10 year old series of tweets that were admittedly homophobic, but, They'll take a guy on for that, but knowing they know that humanitarian relief supplies are diverted by Hamas to make weapons, you know, piping that goes in there to fix Gaza's water supply ends up being casing for rockets, so on right. and so forth. Cement, cement gets diverted so it doesn't rebuild 
the buildings that get bombed, it gets used to make the the you know Gaza Metro, the tunnels that that the um, the fighters use. We know this is happening, and yet all of a sudden they don't care that their money's being diverted to oppress people. That's fine, but ten-year-old jokes by Kevin Hart aren't fine. I don't want people with logic this poor and logic this uh, inconsistent to have any power whatsoever. They will do terrible, terrible, terrible things with it, right? Right. This is how how societies circle the drain. You know, Latin America, South and Central America are shining examples of this. They went in with this populist language, overthrowing this, that, you know, we're going to be self, um, self-determined. And then they get in his rulers and they're absolute despots. Mm-hmm. And the because I say so element of these factions online makes me... Uh, makes me really really hope that you know thank god biden got elected and he's he's very good at at keeping certain factions in their corner but they're getting powerful enough you know the squad managed to block military iron dome funding to um israel they're 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 starting to do things so of course they can block something like that but there's not enough of them to get say you know the the John Lewis Act or the George Floyd Act for voting rights or, or police proper police reform they can't get those through, but there's just enough of them to cause some damage. And I don't know why anybody would want. And I think the problem is they don't realize they're doing this. You know, if you make Israel the enemy, instead of just criticizing them, if you make them the enemy, well, at least they've got anti-discrimination laws on the books. At least it's legal to be gay in Israel. You can't say that about the West Bank. No, unfortunately. So, or, or Gaza, despite all the, all the legitimately racist stuff that Israel does, where is quality of life better for someone? Like in real terms. And they never answer that question right? Because the people screaming about this stuff really can't relate to absolute poverty. Like, how about getting the living conditions for people into a level that's sustainable? And then we'll worry about these identity issues, this this identity and autonomy stuff. Because let's face it, that's kind of what it is, right? Yeah. Um, You can't do that while Hamas is firing rockets indiscriminately at civilian populations, right? And that that brings us to um, the proportionality element. And I I read a really interesting piece this week about what military proportionality means. It's not what people make it out to be that, oh, there's more bodies on this side than the other. That means it's automatically bad. It's about a proportionate response. Well, uh, but what does a proportionate response mean? It mm-hmm. means that you you kill as few civilians possible to achieve your aims, right? Right. So if you are taking out, say, a weapons stockpile, right, 
You don't just carpet bomb the area. You use a targeted strike to minimize. The U.S. calls it collateral damage as a euphemism because they don't want to say killing innocents. Right. But the U.S. drone strikes in places like Iraq get far more collateral damage, meaning killing of innocent people than some of these Israeli strikes are. I mean, people don't people find this ghoulish, but they're firing into a tightly packed enclave of two million people. Based on the number of targets they hit and the number of missiles they deployed, smart, smart bombs, 200 people, that's a pretty targeted offense, offensive. And, uh, you know, the other thing that they don't like to report is that 10 to 15% of the uh, far more rudimentary rockets launch out of Gaza, they misfire and land in Gaza. Mm -hmm. So right now we don't know how many Israeli bombs killed people and how many rockets fired from Gaza killed people. And we may never know because the medical groups in Gaza are the same as they, they work with the blessings of Hamas, which means they have to lie right. in favor of Hamas so they'll kill them. Um, and this is where, I mean, Trevor Noah was... Um, not the most informed on this issue of if somebody can't hurt you, why hit them? I, I think those two families that lost their children in Israel would really have a have issue with suggesting that Hamas cannot hurt the Israeli people. You know, that, that, that's a real lack of am I am I wrong? Mas? Am I just being like too sentimental here? That. Trevor Noah saying that Hamas cannot hurt Israel, so Israel shouldn't fight back. Am I off there? No. In fact, the, I notice an issue with his with his logic, or lack thereof. Um, and it is, if we are saying that killing people is not hurting you, because that is the argument. You know, oh, they've only they have only killed one person or whatever right. right right at which point uh, which number does it actually become hurting someone right right i mean that that's what i find so ghoulish about the argument right like oh trevor noah for people who didn't see this clip he told this story about his mother not telling him to punch his little brothers even though his little brothers were getting violent with him because they couldn't really hurt him now I'm sorry, my sister went through a period where she was incredibly violent when she was about 11 or 12 years old. She used to sleep with a hammer and my mother would make me go in to wake her up in the morning. So I kind of need to shake her awake and then jump. And it was the same argument of, oh, she's smaller than you. She can't hurt you. How about you go in and see how much damage she can do? Yeah. First of all, I thought the whole euphemism was, you know, mom logic is sometimes wrong. But also... You know, this isn't this isn't the this isn't a family fight where everybody essentially likes each other. This mm -hmm. is the bully down the street that just constantly torments uh, someone and hurts yep. you just enough to constantly remind you that they can. And I, I just found like what messages like that do 
is instead of treating all life as equal and all life is equally sacred, it's sending the message to those two Israeli families that lost their children. Oh, your kids don't matter because you don't have enough dead kids. And that just, that just bothers me. Like it's illogical for one, but it all, it's also just cruel. You know, it's callous. It's you're not the right nationality. So we don't care about your loss. It's, and then, you know, John Oliver dropping the apartheid word. Oh, that, that clip made me sad. I, I have been ambivalent on John Oliver for a while because one of his favorite go-tos is making fun of people's appearances. John Oliver, mm-hmm. who was cast as a hornbill bird in the Lion King because of a physical resemblance. Um, I find last week tonight's comedy does descend into the mean too much, but it, it was so small ball. The take on calling Israel apartheid. It was pandering to the base. It was weakly argued. And he did the typical leftist thing of, yeah, Hamas has done bad things too. I'm I'm really disturbed by, this is going to sound really weird, Mouse, but I don't know how else to say it. The whitewashing of apartheid by the left. In, uh, and this brings us to the, um, the last just war premise, the idea of necessity. There was nothing necessary about apartheid, right? No. That was a minority, a colonial minority. They were white people coming in to South Africa and having the local people, the black people, and what they did, what they called colored people, mixed race people, and then any pe- pe- people of Asian descent, which in in that case were were what we would consider Middle Easterners now, mm-hmm. or Arabs, Persians, people like that. Um, they did it just because they could, because they wanted to export wealth back to their European um, countries of origin, and they they just wanted to live fat off the land while other people suffered. There was no purpose for apartheid. And it was, what was it, about 10 years of systematic, ongoing, increasingly oppressive laws Mm -hmm. uh, uh, among the the local populations. And, you know, the Bantu had little enclaves carved out where they were relatively self-governed. But um, there's problems to this day in south africa lingering from apartheid because they you know black people were not allowed to own land where white people could coloreds couldn't either um and the all the job centers were consolidated in white neighborhoods now as you can imagine a lot of south african people do not own cars Mm -hmm. so if there is no work in your neighborhood you don't work so even after years and years and years of the ANC, which is also really corrupt, but, you know, um, the ANC running things, there's still huge crime problems. There's still um, huge poverty problems. It, South Africa has not recovered. 
from apartheid. And for people to throw around that word anytime another government creates a racist policy really undermines it and whitewashes how awful apartheid was, how systematic, you know? Whereas I get the sense that Netanyahu is just scrambling, right? Uh, I compared the, uh, the nation state bill in Israel on this French language thing in Quebec because they're both unpopular politicians scrambling to boost their poll numbers. Mm-hmm. That, that wasn't what the Afrikaners in South Africa did. It was systemic, it was callous, it was calculated, and it was regimented. And maybe you can argue some of the stuff the Chinese Communist Party is doing to the Tibetans and the Uyghurs in Hong Kong. Maybe that has the systematic, the, the systemic air of it. But is, Israel's laws are panicked responses to the fact that if they seem weak, it is, and the, the uh, Israeli defense minister basically said as much on CBC radio this week, that they're not concerned about rockets being fired from Gaza, not so much. They're worried that if they seem weak, those rockets from Gaza are going to be joined from rockets from Iran and all of Iran's um, allies in the region because they've got mm-hmm. rockets that can, they got missiles that can hit Israel. Yeah. And if everybody starts firing on them, the Iron Dome cannot protect them. It may not be true, but this is a sincerely held belief within Israel, not just by Netanyahu, this is a a commonly held belief that if they do not show this cartoonish version of strength that Americans loved under Trump as well, half of America did, slightly slightly less than half of America did under Trump. Yeah. I guess, no, it was more like 30 to 35% who vote. Yeah. More like that. The one third of America that really loved that cartoonish version of strength. You know, it's the same principle. But whether they're right or not, it is a sincerely held belief. They do really believe that if they don't flex every time rockets get fired, it will encourage Iran to take a crack at them. And if Iran starts shooting at them, a lot of people are going to die. And... I think that somebody like an Alex, I, I need to run this by you, Mouse. I, I'm prepared to be wrong on this. This is not a hill I'm willing to die on. But I believe somebody like an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is smart enough to know this. She's been in Congress long enough now. She's getting briefed. She knows what the inside story is. She knows what the counter argument is. And yet she still pops off and calls it Israeli apartheid. That is not the same as a regular person on the street voicing their opinion. That that is something that doesn't just uh, isn't just wrong and and isn't this she should know better territory. Coming from somebody like her, it's the same, perhaps to a lesser extent, but it is the same idea as Trump going around bellowing about the China the China virus or the Kung flu increasing you know anti-asian american bigotry that i don't know how you condemn anti-semitism and then use unnecessary language 
to whip people up. It violates the last resort principle of just fighting, right? There are, I have problems with Alejandra Ocasio-Cortez. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you have problems with that, but no, okay. Because. Like, yeah, I'm going to hear what's wrong with, nope. <laughs> here's the thing. Yeah. We are, I'm going to sound rather uncharitable here, but okay. we make the assumption that, that she is intelligent enough to know this. Yes, um, this is this is my assumption. I am I am giving her that. And I would, on the whole, say that yes, she is intelligent. However, um, intelligence is really. I'm going to go on a, on a, a really, really weird uh, metaphor here, but intelligence really is only the operating system. Hmm. Um, what matters is when you install in it. I, can, I know a great deal of in, very, very intelligent people who manage to be incredibly stupid only in a way that a very, very intelligent person believing absolute idiocy can both on the left and on the right. So it's like um, that AI they put on Twitter and it turned into like a horrible <laughs> racist troll because of what oh, it was God. fed. Oh God, yeah, I remember that. I see where you're going with this. This is really interesting. Because I don't doubt, I do not doubt her intelligence. I doubt her judgment, which is not the same thing. Ah. And Yes, as I, as I said to someone else, all of your attributes um, are useless if you don't have wisdom directing them. Well, that's true. Intelligence and wisdom are not the same thing. And in this case, in the, in the effect in which a person who is said to be deficient of wisdom can be called a fool, I would say that Alejandra Ocasio-Cortez is unfortunately very, very foolish. Um, I know that because you can tell that it comes from a place of earnestness where mm -hmm. she wants to do the right thing, but unfortunately wanting to do the right thing and thinking in such a way that conduces you to doing the right thing and coming to the right conclusions is not automatic. Um, and her great failings happen because in a way she is kind of, um, letting these prescribed notions and ideas work as automatic detectors. She is not, she is knowledgeable in many things, but she is not wise. Uh, she, <coughs> oh, sorry. Um, and the problem with that is that like what happens with Neil deGrasse Tyson, once okay. you know a great deal of things, you start getting the presumption that it is possible for you to know just about anything and everything without really much effort. Because you see Neil deGrasse Tyson weighing in on things that are not his wheelhouse. Yeah. Trying to leverage his credentials as someone who is not <laughs> a part of the specialty in which he's arguing. He often talks, you know, he often. Uh, talks tries to talk about philosophy he tries to, to denigrate oh he's not good on philosophical topics uh but 
this and it's it's super super ironic because he himself is the one who has a quote about how the dangers of being someone who knows a lot is falling into the problem of being someone who thinks they know everything and he kind of typifies that but also Alejandra Ocasio-Cortez she is young she is very bright um, and she's very politically active mm -hmm. and just like any and she also has the Marxist bug and the problem with the Marxist bug uh, which is the, the sister of the ultra conservative uh, yes. bug, which is there, it's two types of brain rot. Um, they, they they have different speaking points, but very very similar effects. Uh, is that once you swallow, once you get swallowed by one of those bugs, you become a, kind of a, a professional intellectual sophist for your political talking points, and it gets to the point where it's almost like it's a subroutine. It's not the person really talking anymore. It's the subroutine taking over. That's interesting. Cause I, I heard a, an interview with a guy who studies online extremism, mm -hmm. who said that, you know, these extremes <coughs> on the internet, they complement each other. There must mm -hmm. be, there's always a reactionary movement when, when something surges like this. He put it, oh yeah. if you believe in Antifa, there has to be a fa right they they never exist without some sort of opposing group so you're uh -huh. i mean you're spot on in your logic there i wonder though if there isn't another level to it because let's face it aoc got where she did by i really admire the fact that she just got out there and door knocked she she did the work she did the retail politics right right but she then she went beyond that. She started getting fashion magazine covers and she started being the person that just drove the right crazy. Um, you know, above and beyond any of her legitimate flaws, something about her makes the right wing go bananas and not not bananas, bananas. Uh, and it's oh, not I, have like, some, I have some ideas as to why that is. Why is that? Well, first of all, she's a person of color. Okay. Um, she is a, an intelligent woman who is outspoken. Um, and here's the thing, the right will tolerate that as long as it's, I don't know. As long as they're saying the right things? As long as there's a crazy nutball, like what's her face? Okay, if, is a woman allowed to be loud and dumb on the right, but not loud and smart? Well, Here's the thing, they're allowed to be loud and smart as long as the things that they're saying don't make you uncomfortable. Oh, okay. So it's it's the comfort thing again. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, I mean, okay, I'll, I'll give her that. I admit I kind of enjoy the way she makes the right wing go insane. Um, because, you know, Sun Tzu, never interrupt your opponent while they're making a mistake. Exactly. Right? But... It's almost like, and, and Neil deGrasse Tyson, I think is a, is a good comparison in this point. Um, once she got famous, once she got all this immediate online attention and social media attention is very different than any other kind of fame because mm -hmm. it's, it's so immediate and direct, right? It's almost like it's oxygen to her now. And if she's not creating some kind of big boom 
on social media, it's like something is wrong. You know, whereas Biden can let people scream while he negotiates a ceasefire in the Middle East. He doesn't need that. He doesn't need that social media beast to constantly be fed. She's it, it's, well, a, she's, it's a symbiotic he's also relationship older. now. He's also older. So he grew up. Unlike, well, you could say Trump is about the same age. Is he the same age, though? No, I don't know. I think Biden is Trump's older. A, well, they're about they're contemporaries, right? They're contemporary. They're, yeah. But of course, Trump is a narcissist. So for right. him, the uh, social media thing was the, the ultimate validator. Um, Biden grew up in a generation where that wasn't quite what you, you know, it wasn't, he did not wean himself on on social media. But, but um, Biden also, he uses public opinion. He doesn't let it use him. You know, but Biden, there's an interesting philosophical thing coming out about Biden that he looks for the areas of consensus. He, there can be disagreements. He doesn't just shun a person who, you know, comes at him hard or um, disagrees with him. He, I want to say he's old school, but he's really not. He's he's inspiringly resilient. And he actually is okay with dissent and people having different ideas and working with people that you don't agree with. You know, I think that transcends generation because like you said, Trump, exact same age as Biden, he he couldn't do any of that. So is it age or is it narcissism? And there just happens to be more narcissists among you know the social media native generation i think it's a combination of both um like i said biden is old enough to have been part of a different cycle right uh, in politics and public opinion uh trump navigated uh, gravitated towards the social media sphere because as a narcissist he craves that right. validation the instant validation um and that is that is, I think, the the the, the, the salient difference between the two of them. But Alejandro Casa Cortez, Iman Omar, etc., all of these younger politicians who have kind of grown up influenced by social media do exhibit the traits of um, of narcissism, as far as the the craving of that immediate fame, uh, the yeah. the fear of losing it, and that is not something you really. And here's the thing, of course, the stereotype of the politician is that a politician is there to perpetuate his office and get the votes, mm -hmm. um, which I think is is absolutely ridiculous. It's one of the reasons why I think there should be term limits on every office in the land, uh, because then that is not that does not become your driving. Well, uh, I, I, I wonder if AOC's tactic is she knows her voters aren't really issues informed in her district. Oh, yeah. So she's just driving that name recognition. She's creating I, a brand. I, I don't understand. I mean, I know that I know that her district and I think it's Brooklyn has a particular racial demographic, but I, I kind of chuckled when, you know, she did something that is going to piss off a lot of Jewish people, rightly or wrongly, and then endorsed a candidate for the New York mayor's race. Like, I'm sure that candidate was like, great. She did it within 48 hours of each other. Oh, gosh. And I don't know if she's just so in a bubble that way, or if it's a calculation of 
drive up enthusiasm among the left wing vote so you don't need the Jewish vote. There's a lot of overlap. Jews don't vote conservative in the US um, in the numbers that they used to because Israel, you know, um, mm -hmm. because they like Trump just totally grossed them out. Um, but it, it, it is weird there just in terms of self-preservation that she'd go all in in on such a polarizing issue if she ever has senate aspirations i just find that really really strange because we've all seen how one or two things hillary's vote for the war in iraq for instance how that can really turn on a dime in terms of political destiny mm -hmm. and and that's why i mean i I can't figure out whether that's a calculated move by these politicians thinking either either they don't think they have Senate aspirations. I don't think AOC does. I think AOC will go all the way to the presidency if people let her. She's ambitious as anything, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But I think comments like that may come back to bite her even in a Senate race because it's New York unless she's going to totally change change districts and you know move to vermont to take bernie's old seat if he when he retires <laughs> but i don't know vermont's pretty white man i yeah. don't know what she's doing here just from a practical point of view that's a big swing and it wasn't necessary i i think that if any if any um hardcore pro-Palestinian supporters are still listening to this. I expect not. I think they turned it off um, 30 minutes ago and left angry comments on the internet. But <laughs> if you are, thank you. But it would be much more useful in getting into the actual details of policy. What's wrong with the 2018 nation state bill in Israel? Because there's a lot wrong with it, right? get into what your issues are with the way land is distributed in in israel and and whatever the west bank is right in one argument right. the west bank is part of jordan that's occupied in another it's a palestinian homeland in another it's a part of israel depending on what point they're arguing you have to pick one and be consistent with it so what do you see the west bank is right because right. if it's a if it's part of Jordan, then it's occupied. It's not apartheid. If it's part of Israel, all right, you've got an argument on, on the apartheid thing. Maybe. I don't think it's there yet, but maybe if it's a part of Israel. But of course, they don't claim it's a part of Israel. They claim it's, it's you know, determined by God to belong to the Palestinians, meaning the Arabs. Um, the other thing people need to recognize is in every country, if you are not a citizen, if you are in a country, say you are American and you don't identify as American, you identify as, say, Iranian or Russian in America, you are not considered to have the same rights, privilege and status as someone who identifies as an American. That's why citizenship right. is so desirable. If you don't have citizenship, yes, you have fewer privileges. So if, you, if a Palestinian is saying, I'm not Israeli, they can't expect the same number of rights as an Israeli citizen, as an Arab Israeli who self-identifies as a citizen of Israel. That makes mm -hmm. sense, right? Right. Like these are the things that need to be consistent for the pro-Palestine movement 
to get above 30% support. It's risen in the last in the last few years. But so has anti-Semitism in the US. So I'm not sure. This is something I realized this week. I'm not sure that the rise in pal pro-Palestinian sympathy is something that the left should be cheerleading about, considering it's come correlated with a fairly significant rise in already high anti-Semitic incidents. Mm -hmm. That is a very big concern at this point. Well, maybe very big those concern. Two things. Oh, it, it's not even in the same ballpark. Like eight to one uh anti-semitic incidents compared to the highest the next highest religion-based um uh hate crimes which is of course islamophobia so both sides in america are not benefiting from this fight and that's another thing i wish and i guess we'll bring it in for a landing here mouse um when you go full-on hatred in this conflict or any of them when it's when it's nationalized when it's factionalized when you go on full-on hatred against your enemy you're hurting yourself because you have to expect the other side to fight just as passionately and just as dirty as you do because you are deciding it is morally permissible to engage in these tactics and that means more people get hurt on both sides when you are not proportionate, when you don't engage in proportionality, when, when your tactics are not the tactics of last resort, when you're doing it to get this big emotional rise out of people, people will get hurt unnecessarily. There are other ways to make your point which are less destructive and more effective. What do you think about that, Mouse? I think that's a sound take. All right. Okay. So, do you have anything to add to this? No, not really, except that it really does bother me that so many people seem to be just fine with. With anti-Semitic hot takes, when about six months ago, a year ago, they were decrying those very same things at the hands of, you know, Trump supporters. Oh, I, I figure I figure we'll deal with this next week when things have calmed down a little bit. But yeah, finish your thought. There is there really is no way that you can be consistent in while having while having both both stances. You just simply can't. Uh, it is, and the, the problem here, the problem here is also a lack of nuance. Well, yeah. It is the, the, the seduction of that, of that Thanos nap thinking, um, where you essentially have, you know, you know, one thing, it's one thing or the other, but it can never be, it's the baker's wife in Into the Woods. Um, you remember the song? Yeah. Uh, if it's, why can't it always be? an or but never an and right um it is possible it is perfectly possible to want a solution for the palestinian conflict uh that gives people you know palestinians a uh, a solution that gives them a, a a state or a place to live while also condemning hamas and also uh, opposing the fact 
that they are in many cases an authoritarian government yeah. at this point that is that has consistently committed human rights violations um yeah but and then, the amnesty, then you get then you get into both sidesism and it's well, like and then and you, and you and it's gay also people yeah, yeah and it's also possible at the same time to you know, support the right for israel to exist while also condemning the politics the corruption yeah. and the way that the government has uh, and the, the actions the governments have taken over you know many many years uh that have not made things any better and in many cases have been questionable uh and deadhead wrong or and also turning a blind eye to certain extremist factions too yeah well uh, I, I in fact was i'll go longer i'll go stronger than that if you can't do that if you're not capable of that sort of nuance you're not really interested in really solving the problem. You're yeah. interested in grandstanding on the problem because that level of nuance is what's required to actually solve the problem. Exactly. Yeah, like if, if like all or nothing statements perpetuate conflict, nuance solves problems. And I gotta give the Biden doctrine for lack of a better term uh, credit here. The fact that it's reported that he is more interested in small incremental improvements for the Palestinian people in Israel and in, you know, West Bank and Gaza, um, instead of trying to do the whole enchilada peace deal because he just doesn't think that's doable at this time. He's actually following the, the rules of just warfare. Don't start a fight you don't think you can win. And damn it, now I want enchiladas. Why don't Why don't we go get enchiladas? <laughs> it's not too early for enchiladas. We're good. It, it's not too early at all. Enchiladas rancheras. That's when I'm gonna go. <laughs> all right, we're gonna go get enchiladas. You guys are gonna digest this and like continue with your critical thinking. It's good to be back. Yeah, we'll tackle anti-Semitism next. We'll we'll talk dance, tackle anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, all that stuff. The principles are all the same. Yeah. Maybe are we Are we Are we season two now? Yeah, okay, we'll say that. We'll we'll yeah. call this the first episode of season two because we took about a what three weeks? Three weeks while I was in opera hell. <laughs> well, you were well, it was a it was a bunch of stuff. It was it was yeah. just the last a whole lot of hell in a mood. Um uh yeah, it uh it's I get that people are done. I really do, you know. I, I'm trying to be charitable. I, I think charity and logic are are very like close neighbors. Uh, I'm trying to be charitable with people lately because people are just done, man. They're done with COVID. They're done with war. They're done with politicians being ignorant narcissists. Like people are just done. And I understand that. And I think that some of the lack of nuance is, is people going, will people just fix stuff, you know? <laughs> And they, the problem is they need the political power. They need the, they need a mandate to fix stuff mm -hmm. and they need, they need the people behind them willing to, willing to be patient to get the right bill, which I give real credit to the, um, the activists behind the, uh, George Floyd justice and policing act, the John Lewis stuff. They're saying, no, get the right bill. Don't rush it just for mm -hmm. the sake of meeting some symbolic deadline, get it right. Yeah, that is Bless very, very them. that is that is the beginning of real change. Apologies for those who are atheist and don't like the bless. It's a verbal tick. 
I know. <laughs> I, I, I try. I try, I try to stop that stuff because I'm so. I'm an atheist, and I occasionally go. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm so, I'm so anti theocracy, but the, the bless. It's, it's just, you know, it's one of those things that you know, it's not probably a word that's gonna, it's probably gonna bother people, but it actually is a sincerely held idea. Yeah. Just, be, just because to me, to me, God. And, and we'll land here, PayPal patron, you guys know the whole thing. God is the thing inside you that tells you the difference between right and wrong. God is reason. God is consciousness to me. That's, it's that little voice telling you this is wrong or this is not wrong. It's the element of being human that rises above animal instinct. And to me, that's all it is. Everything else is just a bunch of stories that flesh out that thing we have inside us that way too many people ignore. Because it's hard, right? It's hard to be moral. <laughs> it's hard. It, be, it means you can't do a lot of stuff you really want to do because lizard brain, right? <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, it's important. And more, more on that next week. Season two, Rogue Block. My uh, thinking is good for you, even when it hurts sometimes. Thanks for your support on the FU network. Mouse is usually the final word. Be careful if you find yourself caught in a route or a route where you suddenly start eschewing nuanced thinking for the most emotionally satisfying of the arguments. That is the way to folly. <laughs>